Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. Thank you for standing so long. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That's the King James Version. The New Living Translation. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else your neighbor owns. Amen. So the 10th commandment I titled simply dealing with selfish inordinate desires. Because if you look at the previous nine commands, really, it deals with our outward actions and worshiping God and, and doing and not doing certain things. It's action. But the 10th commandment specifically deals with the heart and mind. It deals with intents. It, it deals with motivations. It, it deals with our lusts. So the 10th commandment shines a spotlight on the thoughts and desires of the heart and mind. And that's the answer to your first line on your Jesus, thank you for your goodness, for your blessings. We thank you for your word. Lord, it is ever a light unto our pathway, a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for it. Edifies tonight by it. Help us, O Lord God, to, to apply it to our own lives in the practical sense and give us complete understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. And let the church say amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing again so long. Hallelujah. So all the... Previous commands uh, focus on our outward actions. But the 10th commandment specifically focuses on the inward desires of the heart. It's been said that the best source of good deeds are good desires. The best source for good deeds are good desires. Our desires will determine the type and quality of life that one will live out their experience on earth. And God cares about what we think. You realize that? God cares about what you and I think about. And if you think about it, and this, this commandment that, uh, that addresses covetousness, it has always been and will be the prevailing sin of man's heart. Hallelujah. It, it's just the way it is. And before man ever carries out any sin in action, Covetousness, the desire, the lust, the thought, is first arise, aroused within the heart. It starts here. Amen. So the action starts in here. And remember, this goes right back to several of the other commands that we talked about, whether it was murder, whether it was uh, uh, you know, uh, lying, cheating, a lot of things. It begins right here. And in, in this sense, the New Testament is stricter than the Old Testament was. Because in God's morality and his uh, kingdom, he not only addresses the final uh, act of that, that thought from the heart, he addresses the morality of the heart itself, where it begins. This is why we mentioned how Jesus said, you know, it has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if there's a man who so much as looks at a woman to, co to commit adultery with her, has, has a lust after her to commit adultery, has already committed adultery in his heart. So, you see, in the Old Testament, the judgment and, and the, the analysis of, of that, that law 
focused on the action. But Jesus brought it a step higher and said, no, that's just the final result. But it begins with what you'll see and what you think and what you desire in your heart. So he doesn't equate uh, adultery with, with, with lust, per se, in seeing it. But he addresses the beginning of a sin. And he addressed murder the same way. That murder is the action, the final result of something that begins in the heart, which is hate. And that's why the Bible tells us in the New Testament, the book of John, and we, we t- talked about it, uh, that he that hateth his brother has committed, is, is a murderer. He that uh, hateth his brother is a murderer. Amen. So God does care about what we think about. And uh, man covets and he desires and lusts to sin and then he carries it out. So this commandment speaks loud and clear in telling us that as long as man exists on this earth in his fallen state, there will be a need for the 10th commandment. And this commandment forbids coveting of anything that belongs to our neighbor. Notice it focuses on our neighbor. The commandment, uh, in fact, addresses man's need for security. God wants man to feel secure and protected. How so? Well, God wants man to live his life in peace, knowing that his wife and family, his property, his possessions... His joy from the fruit of his labors and, uh, and anything else that he has is secure and protected against the covetousness and the theft of other persons. So, so you see the motivation behind the Ten Commandments and, and the importance of these to be followed in any society? It was not just God laying down an arbitrary rule, making demands of us. He knows our fallen state, and he knows what kind of of ordinances are required to provide us the best quality of life that anyone can have. And so uh, when you talk about covetousness, as God addresses it here in the Tenth Commandment, Uh, There are dual aspects of the meaning of covetousness. And I want to deal with that for a few moments. The Hebrew word for covet is hamad. It means to desire, crave, want, long for, yearn for, or lust after. But interestingly, coveting is a neutral word. It doesn't really in itself uh, give you any, any... uh, indication of, of something good or bad, okay? Uh, and so, so it, 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 it is neutral in that sense. And, and that word describes something that can be good or bad, legitimate or illegitimate. It depends on the context and depends on what happens. I'll get to that in a minute. But it's only when coveting is misdirected to that which belongs to another person that such desire becomes wrong. The Bible says that there are good things that we should covet and want and desire. We all have legitimate desires for love and joy and peace, legitimate desires to be secure and successful, fulfilled and satisfied. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from our God above And that we should actually seek after and covet good and perfect gifts. James 1.7. And when you look at uh, the context of 
the New Testament, beginning with Matthew 5, 6, Jesus saying, Blessed are they which do hunger and, watch this, thirst after. That is, coveting after. Thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. It's the same word. It's used in a negative context somewhere else. When, when somebody is coveting or desires something that doesn't belong to them. With an envious desire. But in a good sense, uh, that very same covetousness, that very same desire can be used for desiring and wanting good things. And God sees nothing wrong with it. Thirst after righteousness. And 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covered earnestly the best gifts, yet I show unto you the more and more excellent way. Psalms 19, 9 through and 10. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired. Coveted. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. There's some things that are good to covet, the gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, the Lord himself, more than gold. So the Bible says that God gives us the ability to get wealth and that we should work so diligently that we can not only earn enough money to meet our own needs, but also meet the needs of others when they are in need. And that particularly focuses on the church. I don't so mean outside the church also, although that also can be uh, certainly understood that way. But the emphasis is on the church. That's why in Ephesians 4.28 it says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Hallelujah. Now, a good example is that in Acts chapter 5, you know, when uh, the Spirit moved upon the early church to sell everything they had and they brought to the church that they distributed among the people who had real needs. We don't understand or really know what caused that. Some uh, conjecture and, and, and suppose that it was right prior to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and, the, and the, the destruction of Israel as a nation. And God had them sell their properties and get rid of their substance before they lost it all. In the process, they were able to minister to much of the population uh, who, who was in Jerusalem. And as we mentioned at that particular time of the life of the early church, uh, a lot of people were gathering worldwide from the Jewish diaspora, those that were still in the, in the uh, in a group of the people of Jewish folks who, who stayed in the foreign countries where they were taken as prisoners back from the uh, Babylonian uh, captivity days. Uh, and then, of course, with the Roman Empire being as it was, it was, you know, if you're a Roman, part of the Roman Empire, you could pretty well travel anywhere you wanted to, provided you could pay the fare and get on a ship and go whatever, you know, do you, whatever your business. But in any case, uh, a lot of people were in Jerusalem because that's where the church, that's where the action was. That's where the apostles were. And this is, that was, that's where the church was born and it was growing leaps and bounds. And, and all of a sudden, you had all these people looking for employment that couldn't find enough, perhaps, because there weren't that many jobs. What do they do? We're going to hang around the church. 
Well, there's only so much that you can do. Anyway, so the church moved upon, the, uh, the spirit moved upon the church to, to sell whatever they had and they distributed among, among the people. The church. Hallelujah. Uh, well, I, don't, I can get off on a tangent here, but I won't. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the Bible also talks about an illegitimate covetousness that is not right. That a man commits evil when he desires another person's wife, property, or any possession belonging to that person. Hence, we read Exodus 20, 17. Amen. Not to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And in Ephesians 5, 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Colossians 3, 5, mortify therefore your members, meaning your bodily members, that your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ear, your mouth, your lips, your tongue. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, which is idolatry. We made this connection earlier. But covetousness is, 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 is being so consumed with getting something that we become gripped and enslaved by it. It's stronger than just, well, you know, I want a pizza tonight. You know. It's more than that. It's being fixated and focused on something that belongs to somebody else and, and say, I want that. Especially when you're not entitled to it. And so our hearts become focused upon a person or a possession or a thing other than God. Other than God. And this is why the scripture declares that covetousness is idolatry. This desire becomes more for these things or this person, this whatever, that you're lusting after than God. And so you're putting it before God, it's, it, it becomes an idol to you. Ephesians 5, 5, for this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? Covetousness works, you know, from beginning to end. The eyes look upon something, an object. The mind admires it. The will goes over to it and the body moves in to possess it, to take it. And you're, you get a clear picture all, already right away about Eve, you know. Take it, you know. See, when she saw it was pleasant to the eyes and, and food to be desired and then to make one wise. Uh, anyway, she considered it, thought it over. She goes over to it, takes, eats, and then gives to her husband. Amen. So it, it follows that, that process of covetousness, of where it begins and how it becomes action. So the 10th commandment, it intimates to us that, that we are indeed our brother's keeper. Because this, uh, this, this commandment really is telling us, uh, leave your brother's things alone. Stay out of your brother's garden. Stay out of your brother's house. What belongs to him is his, and it's not yours. 
And if you want something more, you want something what he has, pray about it. Lord, I want something like that. And then God will deal with you. <laughs> Either he'll say yes or he'll say no. Amen. You know, James says, you know, you have not because you ask not. Too often we do without because we don't ask. We want to take matters in our own hand and we either take an extra job or we, or we do something inordinate, not so much unlawful, it's just more overtime. If anything to keep us out of church, just, just to get that one thing that we want, why don't we just pray about it, put it before God and wait. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And so... Uh, we are our brother's keeper. That's why I said, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. And so the object of, of your envy is your neighbor, your fellow man. That's what covetousness is. But when our passion is to possess something that belongs to someone else, our neighbor, then our focus is really motivated by our own selfish, carnal desire. So the covetous person sometimes oppresses people also and steals from them. And Micah tells us that's exactly what happened in his day in chapter 2, verse 2 of Micah. He says, and they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. You know, um, I remember the, the message that God preached to King David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he sends him Nathan the prophet. Bathsheba's already pregnant, expecting a child. And, uh, and, you know, Nathan, by the wisdom of God, knew how to approach David with a parable uh, that touches the heart and soul of a shepherd. And uh, you know the story. But when, when Nathan finally said, thou art the man, and David repents. Uh, Nathan immediately, by the inspiration of God, said, Thou shalt not die, for God has taken away thy sin. But he says this to him, which always intrigued me. He says, You know, I have given you, I've taken you from a sheep goat, I have made you a king of Israel, and you have this and this and this. He just highlights all the things that God has given him. And he said this then, And if it was not enough... If that was not enough, all you have to do is ask. And I would have given you such and such. Wow. See, that's, that's really one of the things we need to consider when we're tempted by covetousness. is understanding that it's in order when we know it's wrong. David knew. He had to know that he was doing wrong. It was wrong to look. It was wrong to think and ponder. It was long to, wrong to send for her. It was wrong to call her into his private chambers and look at the beauty of the, of, of, of the palace to be overwhelming a woman whose husband is away in war compared to that little house that they had and the pomp and, and the servants and everything else of the palace to be overwhelmed by a man like David. And he humbled her and had intimate relations with her, and the rest is history. And uh, 
he had to he had to pay for his mistake. And I'll talk about that more probably in a few minutes. But coveting, um, therefore, it's the sin of coveting is is what belongs to really another uh, person on a serious offense on several accounts. Let me repeat that. The sin of coveting, what belongs to another person, is a serious offense in several ways, several accounts. First of all, it indicates that we have a lack of love for our neighbor. Matthew 22, 39, I love thy neighbor as thyself. When you're coveting and envy after what they have, you're really not loving them. When you're coveting his wife or her husband, you're coveting the things they have with that lustful, envious desire, that's inordinate. It's illegal. It's illegitimate. And you're not really loving your neighbor because if you do take what they have, you're causing them hurt and damage. And you don't hurt somebody on purpose, somebody you love. Do you? And second of all, it covetousness indicates that the only person that we care about is number one, ourselves. When somebody's covetous, they only think about their selfish me, me, me. See, covetous people ask the questions, how will this profit me? Or how will this give me enjoyment? They also ask, how can I make this last? It's all about feelings. It's all about pleasure. It's all about satisfying that deep desire, that covetousness, that longing, that wanting that is inordinate. It's against the rules. It's against God's law. And so this is th that, that egocentric and, and selfish thinking that, that creates isolation in a person. Many times it becomes so focused on a thing. You know what? Those people isolate themselves. You watch somebody. That's, they're focused on something intently. And I can use some examples here, but I don't want to. Because I've seen it happen here with some people. And it's, it's not perhaps what you think. All I'm saying is I've seen it. Perhaps you've seen it too. When, when somebody becomes so fixated on, on getting something, they forget about everything else. All they think about is themselves and their feeling, that longing being satisfied. They have a hard time concentrating on God. They have a hard time concentrating on doing the will of God. And, and many times they, they, they keep themselves away from fellowship. Why? Because they're so wrapped up in themselves. And so, so this is that egocentricity. It's, it's egocentric. It's selfish thinking. It creates isolation, as I said, and, and because it, it blinds a person to the needs of others. You don't see what somebody else has needs of. You're just thinking about your own needs. And then it leads one to lose human contact and a church fellowship. That's horrible. And when you lose human contact, then in turn it develops into loneliness and disorientation and depression. But I'm not saying that all depressed people are covetous. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't go there. 
I'm just saying that th that can be one of the consequences of, of someone who's so focused and bent on, on envying and getting something that they're fixated on that they isolate themselves and so much so that, again, they cut off fellowship. And when you cut off fellowship with humans, we need that human contact. And we're really digging ourselves in the deep hole. And so depression sets in. And they do not ask the most important questions such as, how will this affect others? See, you all focus on self. But covetous people don't ask these questions. How does it affect others? Or how will this affect my family? How will this affect the church of God? So that's under the second heading. First, again, uh, how the sin of coveting, uh, how it is serious on several counts. First, it indicates that we have a lack of love for a neighbor. Two, it indicates that the only person that we care about is number one. And third of all now, it indicates that we are not satisfied with what we have and what God has already given us. Someone has said that inordinate covetousness is the language of discontent. Discontent of our own lot, our own condition, and having an envy of our neighbor's lot. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, everybody say things, shall be added unto you. So what things soever you have need of, ask. Ask. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation, meaning your behavior, your speech, in action, everything that you do, be without covetousness. So can you, can you see beyond these few words here what he's saying? Let your conversation be without covetousness. So your behavior, your speech... Don't let it be fixed, you know, don't let, don't let yourself get so fixated that everything you do is about that meeting that need, that the desire of that need. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content. Everybody say, be content. <laughs> with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What it simply says is, look, if you have a need of something, God is still there. Tell him about it. And if you need it, ask him and he will give or he'll say no because he knows what you're going to do with it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because the truth is living a covetous life bears consequences consequences. You know, the Bible is all about consequences. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Amen. The covetous person uh, causes grief for his entire family. That's because of his pursuit of dishonest money. Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. But he that hateth gifts, meaning bribes, shall live 
He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. Covetousness causes grief for the family. It troubles his house. Need I say any more about Achan at the Battle of Jericho? He coveted what? The Babylonian garment, that wedge of gold and silver. And he hid it. He stole from God, the first of ten cities. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Reminds me of another sermon that Brother Tommy Tinney preached. The next battle was the Battle of Ai. And first they only sent 3,000 men. The next time they sent 30,000. It takes ten times more the power to come against an enemy if you don't take a victory over the first time. And so Achan, after the battle of Jericho, you know, somebody had troubled his own house. Remember what happened to him and his whole family? They gathered him up. Why? Because 36 of the Israelites died as a result of Achan's sin because of his covetousness. See, you don't live to yourself, you don't die to yourself. No man is an island. And the way you and I live rubs off on somebody else. Either your children or somebody that's watching you or somebody even in church who's maybe an unstable soul. Maybe somebody who's weaker than you. But the poor family members of Achan, they suffered the loss. Why? Because 36 Israelites died and they were part of it. They kept quiet. Didn't, nobody came forward and told Joshua, hey, Joshua, I hate to tell you, but look, this is what my husband did. Now, should he have done that? I'm not saying that. He, he, she probably could have. She probably could have saved herself and her whole family. But they were privy to So what happened? They took out Achan and his wife and his children and everything he had, the sheep, everything, and they stoned him in death. They left a huge pile of stones on top of them. Why? Because covetousness has consequences. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house, as Achan did. Covetousness brings disaster to the person's life and his family. King David, I mentioned him earlier, coveted Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. His coveting caused him to break the sixth and seventh commandments. And from that time forward, his life just spiraled out of control. It strained, uh, it was stained, his rule was, by the rebellion of his son Absalom. And uh, there was bloodshed, murder. There was attempted cover-ups and scandal. And it cost David his throne for two years. Remember, Absalom supplanted him. And, and David had to run for his life for two years into exile. Gave up his throne. His son was in, in his stead. And several of his sons were killed. And then on top of that, the worst thing, God promised that the sword will never depart out of the house of King David or his descendants. And there's King Ahab when he coveted the, the vineyard of, of Naboth, the Jezreelite, in 1 Kings 21. And God made sure as a result of what he did. You know the story that went to Ahab. And, and, and Naboth wouldn't sell him the land. He was not allowed to. The law prohibited it. But it was right next to this palace. It was so convenient. It was so nice. It was so good. You know, I want it. I'll pay you whatever money you want. I'll pay you for it. And Naboth said, no, I can't. You know, I can't sell it to you. You're the king. Fine. But look, you don't have authority. It's not up to you and me. We can't do it. It violates God's law. So what happens? You know, Ahab goes in his bedroom, boohoos, and he, he pouts, and he, he, he mopes around, and his wife, you know, the, the uh, Jezebel, the uh, 
the daughter of King Zidon, the foreigner. What's wrong, babe? <laughs> Naboth wouldn't sell me his land. Oh, don't worry, they I'll take care of that. And he calls the village elders together. Now, where his land is, he says, hey, call together all the village elders. And I want you to get a couple of false uh, Balaam worshipers, some false witnesses, witness against him, and take, it out of, take him out and execute him. And they did just that. And when the job was done, he tells Ahab, come on, honey, go ahead and take possession of it. It's all yours. But you don't think God saw that? Why didn't God stop that? Now, there's another lesson, a message in that, and you know that. Hallelujah. It has everything to do with the right to choose and uh, a meaningful, loving relationship with God. And you, you can't, God can't intervene in everything and won't. But God made sure that both Ahab and Jezebel died a horrible death. Both of them did. And you read about it. It's incredible. Hey, listen, you know, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. God knows how to deal with it a lot better than you and I can. And then there's Gehazi, another one, another covetous man, Elisha's servant. He coveted Naaman's, the leper, leper's gold. That's 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman's leprosy became the judgment in Gehazi, Elisha's servant, and his family at that. And he now had to live in a leper colony. He separated. The main breadwinner of the family was now a leper, had to be separated from his family, and now his family had to live without him. Gehazi's relationship with his mentor was severed. Gehazi's relationship with God was severed because of his covetousness. He lost his health and eventually lost his life. And he just couldn't stop thinking about the money. He got fixated on it. How, how could he just let this man go back? He was a Syrian. He's a heathen. He's got the money. He won't miss it. I mean, why, 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 didn't he, why didn't he? The next thing you know, whoosh, off he goes. Because so fixated, he's, his, the thoughts of his heart stirred him into action. Goes after Naaman and said, you know what? Elijah changed his mind. He wants the, not, the gold and the money and, and he wants the sacks and he wants those garments. Gladly, here it is, buddy, take it. I'm healed. And all of a sudden when he goes back, well, he tries to hide it, but you can't hide things from God and the man of God. And he comes and asks him, Gehazi, where were you? Where'd you go? Oh, nowhere. A lie. And of course, consequences. Consequences. Covetousness has its consequences. What about gambling? Gambling is, is, is another rotten branch of covetousness. Gambling. Covetousness is what drives people to gamble. And those who get addicted gamble away the family's resources, the bills aren't paying, the family doesn't have enough food to eat. You talk about troubling your house. In fact, in, in this book, uh, Ten Words by, the, by the L.J. Harry, he was in a car with somebody driving by down here in St. Louis, and they were going by the, the casino, the, the riverboat. And that man made this statement and said, you know, they don't build boats like that from people winning money. (laughs) 
still gamble, don't they? Hallelujah. So, so many people's lives are destroyed by, by a covetous person gambling away everything. And then, there really there are many lives destroyed also by those who win. When a gambler wins, it's documented. I read a long internet article one day. I, I still remember. It is long. Brother Heil, it was a long article. I kid you not. It made me think I was reading one of those communist old you know, columns from the newspapers back in the propaganda days. Because one of the people, one of the, the folks that really know how to, 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 to write a lot of words and say a lot of nothing are communists. But that's the way it is. It is funny. Hallelujah. God help us. But uh, I, I read about what happened to, to people who won the lottery big time. And they, and they tracked them for several years. And I honestly cannot tell you the tragedy after tragedy. The divorces, uh, the, 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 the broken families going their separate ways uh, of what they did with their life, with all this money they have all of a sudden. They don't have a job to go to. They don't, they don't have any restraint. They don't have any balance. Uh, they don't have any purpose. It's just... It's just just hedonism. Spend it on your lusts and your pleasures. It destroys families. You think that money would solve all your problems. It doesn't. Relying on God does. That's why Jesus seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Just be content with what we have. Hallelujah. Now, it's interesting when you look at the New Testament, how Jesus ranked covetousness in the same breath, along with adultery, fornication, and murder. That's covetousness. Listen to Mark 7, 20 and 23. He said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, Adulteries, fornications, murders, hallelujah, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Notice in the New Testament, Jesus deals with a lot of sins that the Old Testament commands had a judgment for, but he brings it to a higher standard. It comes down into the heart. He says, judge your own self. Judge your heart and stop the sin before you act upon it. Stop thinking about it. Hallelujah. Stop lusting after it, ending after it. And uh, it, it all comes from the heart. Notice uh, adulteries and fornication, fornication, that's all about relationships. Uh. Some people put relationships ahead of God. And it's, again, this covetousness, this lust, and this desire for a person or things. Some people put a relationship, an inordinate relationship before God. You know, God wants to bless relationships. He does. But there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Right? Um, you, don't, you don't live together before you're married. You don't have intimate sexual relations before you're married. The world thinks otherwise, but we're not the world. We're children of God. We are the king's children. 
Hallelujah. We're in alignment with his will and with his way. We want to please him. And as we please him, then he blesses us. Hallelujah. We have a blessed life. And I want God to bless me. I want God to bless our relationships. But there's a right way and a wrong way. And, and when somebody lives in adultery and fornication, that is displeasing to God. That is a, a, a violation, a gross violation of his ordinances and what he intends for you and I to have. But I've seen so many people put relationships, and you know some of them yourself. Think about it. How many people are living in an inordinate relationship, and they come to church sometimes, but they don't live for God 100%. They don't turn themselves over to them. Why? Because they have a covetous, idolatrous relationship with somebody else. That relationship to them and fornication or adultery is more important to them than pleasing God. And Jesus addressed it clearly, and, and here, right here, Mark 7, 20 through 23. And Paul has the same message in Romans 1, 20 through 29, and Colossians 3, 5. That, that's what he called covetousness idolatry. So the message is that when we begin to serve our money and things and even relationships and put them ahead of God, before God, right next to God, God calls that idolatry. Hallelujah. Jesus warned us about covetousness in Luke 12, 15 as well. You know the scripture. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. All the time we want to gauge success by how much stuff we have. That's not where success is. It's how well you accomplish the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? And if you do that, you're a successful person. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. You know, the, the, the rich man, Lazarus, had everything. Now, Lazarus, the beggar who was at his door and his gate, with sores all over his body, top to bottom, dogs licking his sores, he didn't have anything. He was just totally judged totally unsuccessful in the eyes of the world. But he ended up in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man in hell. So we have to be careful what standard we use in judging success. Because it's not in the things that Jesus said. Beware of covetousness. Why? Because covetousness deceives you. Makes you think that everything's okay. It makes you think that you're successful when really you're not. Because you're not rich in the things of God. Hallelujah. So to counter temptations of covetousness, there's several things we can do. Number one is to trust God for everything. When you're tempted with covetousness, trust God. Trust God before you abandon yourself to that, that uh, unbridled lust and desire for something and you get so fixated with it. It could be a car that you go into debt for that God doesn't want you to be tied to that payment for the next five to ten years. Well, but I need a good car. I know you need a good car. Hallelujah. But wait a little bit. Focus on God and pray and see what God says. So trust God for everything. Matthew 6, 31 and 32. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
For all the, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Hallelujah. God knows what you and I have need of. So trust Him. Trust Him. So trust that God both knows what you really need and in every area of your life and, and know that He's able to provide it. Trust that God knows your needs and He'll fulfill it at His time. The second thing you can do to counter the temptation of covetousness is to keep your priorities straight. Again, Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first. Everybody say first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And we talked about that Sunday morning. Remember I preached early in the morning will I seek you. The first impressions are powerful. What you think about, what, how you set your course, how you set your pace for the day and the direction for your feet. It matters. It lasts with you for the rest of the day. So, so be intentional about what you think about in the morning. Be intentional about, uh, about, intentional about putting your nose in the Word of God and, and meditating upon that. That's why he says, Seek ye the kingdom of God first, and his righteousness and all these things, things shall be added unto you. See, our job as Christians in this world is to figure out how to serve God and, and his kingdom first with our talents. And with our time, right? Because he gave us talents. And, and we've, been, we, we've been entrusted with those talents as good stewards. And all of us have different talents that God has invested in us. And he's looking to make a return with dividend on what he has given you. And I'm naturally really speaking of the spiritual aspect of it. But there's also the material aspect. Uh, because, you know, when, when Jesus said, occupy till I come, that is a financial term. Occupy till I come, it means as a merchant would trade. And it's trading up. It's, it's trading in a way that you produce a profit. So when Jesus told, you know, his church, occupy till I come, it means just that. Hallelujah. And that is souls, the greatest commodity of the kingdom, and do whatever you can in the cause of the kingdom with respect of the salvation of souls. So time and talents uh, and all of that uh, is, is something that God looks to make a return on. But God promises that we, when we make him or make that our priority, that he'll provide what we need materially, emotionally, and spiritually to live in this world. And when we turn this around and try to serve our needs first instead of our God, you know what happens? We're never satisfied. When you start just living and, and trying to, to, to fulfill your desires, your, your carnal desires. And again, remember, I mentioned covetousness is a neutral word. It's okay to want a better life. It's okay to have you know, uh, more money to, to, to spend and to help others even. And your kids and your family, remember, whatever. Or you have a better house or a better car. It's not wrong. But when you look at somebody else for that, and when you get so impatient that you're fixated on that, and... Worst of all, you forget to give God thanks for what you have right now. Because you think about it, to this, this day, because remember, we live in this day. Yesterday's gone, tomorrow's not here. This is the most important day of our lives. And this day, did you have everything you needed? Didn't you? 
Or you may not have everything you wanted, but this day, you have everything you needed. Everything you needed. And more than likely, you did yesterday too. And more than likely, based on the track record, you will tomorrow too. Why? Because our God is faithful. His mercies are renewed morning by morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, let's not be unthankful and ungrateful what God has done for us. Stand with me if you will. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So seek the kingdom of God first and, and, uh, and have to make sure that, that we, we are thankful for what we have because otherwise we'll be very, very unsatisfied. Amen. See, there's a special joy that comes from putting God first and putting Him first in our lives. And what's more, He gives us this feeling of satisfaction that we crave, which does not simply from amassing a bunch of stuff, wealth, or goods. Ecclesiastes 3.12 says, I know there is nothing better for them, man, than to rejoice and to do good so long as they live. God wants us to rejoice and be happy in what we're doing. He wants you to be happy in this life. Amen. Turn your neighbor and say, I'm happy, and make it like you mean it. Hallelujah. Trust God for everything. Keep your priorities straight. And here's the last one. I'm going to leave this with you as the last thing. Be content with what you have today. 1 Timothy 6.6 But godliness with contentment is great gain. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. That is why we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We've got to learn to be thankful for what we have. And if we need more, just understand God is faithful. All you got to do is ask. He sees your condition. He sees the longing of your heart and the needs of your family. He's not going to let you down. Look at the last 20 years or however you long been serving him. Has God ever let you down? Never. He changes not. What a great God we serve. Oh, hallelujah. We got to learn to be full with today's blessings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, some people will only be happy and be satisfied tomorrow. In the future. You know, it's it's, it's when I make another $10,000. You know, when I get this home, or you know, when I get this second home, when I get this, 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 this nice summer home, or when I get this car, or when I get this second car, or it's when I retire. I've talked about that Sunday morning. Sister Lydia, God bless her, she never got a chance to enjoy that retirement. Here I am using her, you know, example again. If you weren't here Sunday, Sister Lydia Pracker, you know, precious soul, served this church for many years. And there she was in the back. She sang in the choir. She did ushering. She did everything. And then when she retired in December of what was it, 2020? Hallelujah. And, and 
she went on a celebration cruise with Sister Tonda back there, and they came home, and she retired in December, so January early, they went on a cruise, and then late January, we haven't heard from her. Sister Tonda called and said, have you talked to Sister Tonda? Oh, where is she? And she went to her house, Bangalore, the music was coming loud from there, inside in her apartment all by herself, where she was living called the police, did a wellness check to open the door, and there she was. Passed away on the floor. Never even got to collect one retirement check. That's that is sad, but you know, she went to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. My point is, what if she really lived her life when I retire? Then I'd be happy then I'll be thankful. She wasn't, but what if she did that? What good would it have been to, to journey through life 60-some years and waste every day with, with unhappiness, with lack of contentment, no satisfaction, always grumbling about what you don't have rather than giving God thanks for all the things that we do have. God help us to have the right attitude to enjoy the, the kingdom living that God has given us in the Holy Ghost. I want to be different, don't you? I want to be a child of God that has his priorities straight. That I'm living for him and not for self, not for flesh, not for something that somebody else has. Hallelujah. Only way we can be happy is to acknowledge what God has given you and I. Would you lift your hands right now towards heaven and just pray? Let's ask him to deliver us from covetousness. Lord God, deliver us from this covetous spirit that is in America and most of the Western world. Yes, we enjoy more goods or we consume so many things more than anybody else on the face of the earth. And while it's not bad to consume, it's, it, is, it is bad to be consumed by it. Help us, oh Lord God, that we would be not so focused and fixated on the things of this world that are temporal. That we waste our time and energy and our money, our things that are, are passing away. And we neglect those things that are eternal. Those things that shall never pass away. Help us, oh Lord, to be more mindful of your kingdom and the things that we need to do for the salvation of souls, for the expansion of your kingdom. Help us, O oh Lord, to set our priorities straight, to make you first each and every day in our lives, to make you the Lord and Savior of our soul each and every day. And each and every day, help us to be grateful, to be thankful call upon you each and every day in trust and in faith for you never leave us and you said you'll never forsake us oh God in Jesus mighty name I pray let the church say amen